This podcast is brought to you by the law firm of Clyde Snow and Sessions, based in Salt Lake City with offices in Oregon and California. For over 65 years, Clyde Snow has represented clients throughout the West. Clyde Snow, serious about solutions. Hello, and welcome to Ripple Effect, a podcast putting water into context. I'm Emily Lewis, your host, and I'm a water attorney here in Salt Lake City, Utah, practicing creative solutions to today's and tomorrow's water problems. Welcome to the conversation. Hello, and welcome to Ripple Effect. Today, I'm excited because I love talking to folks who are kind of are at the heart of making interesting or creative change. And um, I got a recommendation to interview Assemblyman Howard Watts out of the Nevada Assembly. And Assemblyman Watts was very critical in getting past uh, Assembly Bill 356 in the 2021 legislature, which is kind of more popularly known as the Las Vegas Turf Bill. And so I'm excited to kind of talk to him about how that came to be, what it does, and kind of most importantly, how it's working today. So, um, Assemblyman, for our listeners, would you mind giving kind of a little brief background on kind of who you are and uh, how you got to be working on water legislation? Sure. And thank you so much for having me onto the podcast. I appreciate it. So, I am serving in my second term in the Nevada legislature. I was elected uh, for the first time in 2018. Before that, I I first started getting um, involved in water and natural resource issues. It was kind of an interest. Even when I was going to college, I studied political science, but was really interested in kind of um, natural resource policy. And then I started working for uh, different advocacy organizations. Um, I actually spent several years working with a group called the Great Basin Water Network that was working to stop a proposed groundwater pipeline and promote the more sustainable use of water in the Great Basin. Mm -hmm. And so throughout all of that, I I really just got kind of hooked and learned over the years, water law and policy and heard about different ideas for how we could manage this resource better for, to make sure that we continue it for future generations. And so I brought that interest into the Nevada legislature after I got elected and you know, decided to work on some of those issues. In my first term in office, I worked on some indoor conservation by kind of improving our water efficiency standards and was interested in doing more. And then in this last session of the legislature, I actually served as the chair of the Natural Resources Committee um, nice. in our Nevada Assembly. And that is where I had the opportunity to work with folks at the Southern Nevada Water Authority and others on uh, Assembly Bill 356, um, which uh, is the turf bill. Wow, that's kind of fun. That's an exciting way to live out your intentions. I'm excited for you. (laughs) Yeah, Um, yeah. Cool. Okay. Well, so I guess... For me, and so, so in the purpose for having you on this show and, and and this this podcast in particular is, I'm really interested in kind of not just kind of the the, um, the actions for what we do, but also kind of like the process and how we move forward uh, water policy because it is a big, complicated, and interconnected juggernaut, and it's kind of something that you know is all encompassing at once and also very micro. <laughs> yep. And so it's hard to kind of get your hands around it. And I think having concrete examples of successful specific actions is really helpful for people. Yeah. So 
having your background, you know, having worked for the Great Basin Water Network, having done some indoor stuff, how did you and the Southern Nevada Water Authority come on, you know, turf removal as the action to take? Yeah. So, you know, first of all, that that pipeline project that I had mentioned, it was officially shelved by the Water Authority a, a couple of years back. And so with that, they focused all of their attention on, you know, making sure that we preserve our water supply on the Colorado River, of course, which we share with with six other states in the nation of Mexico. And, you know, it it provides 90% of the drinking water for the, the Las Vegas metropolitan area. They've known for a long time uh, we're right next to the lake, basically. So for a long time, we've been able to use a, a recycling program, right? Everything that goes through our kind of storm drains ends up in the wash, which ends up in the lake. Everything that goes through our indoor plumbing system gets treated and then released into the wash and goes into the lake. And so through that return flow credit system, we're actually able to reuse water multiple times. Um, and so when we look at, what well, is that yeah, the lower, uh, the lower something wash? I'm not totally familiar. Yeah. With the Las project. Vegas wash. Yeah. Okay. The Las Vegas wash. And so that's a separate distinct recycling program that Southern Nevada water authority implemented in lieu of building the pipeline that, that you were involved with earlier in your career. Yeah. So they've done, they've done lots of things from the mm-hmm. low level, like pumping stations to, you know, developing this return flow system through treating our wastewater and returning mm-hmm. it to the lake and then being able to draw it back out. And so, um, you know, for them, they've really looked at those uses that they call consumptive, because essentially when you use water indoors, mm-hmm. um, we can we can keep re- using that over and over with only, only losing a little bit through that process. So the number one consumptive use of water in our community is, um, irrigation. And then, you know, looking at, uh, specifically grass, it's, it is a thirsty plant. Mm -hmm. And we know that while we've got it in golf courses, while we've got it in parks, while people may have it in their backyards where they use it to, you know, to, to recreate, there is also a lot that is sitting on medians and it's sitting by the side of sidewalks. Sometimes it's on a big slant where you, you can't even lay down on it. You could roll down it, I guess. Um, <laughs> a recreational rolling we do on the grass. <laughs> <laughs> I, you know, I haven't done that since I was pretty little, but uh, I wouldn't do it if it rolled me into the middle of traffic anyway. Um, yeah. So, you know, those things, they're aesthetic, right? They don't mm-hmm. really, they're, they're not serving any higher function than just to look good. And so for years, the Water Authority has had a turf replacement incentive. It's now up to $3 a square foot that they'll contribute. If you take your, your grass and replace it with any sort of low water use landscape, whether that's desert landscaping, you can put artificial turf in whatever you want. And they've gotten a lot of use out of that over the last decade or two, but have started to run into kind of the wall of some folks that they like it. They like the aesthetic. Um, Mm -hmm. And, you know, they essentially weren't going to change unless somebody told them to. Um, They kind of run out of the low hanging fruit of voluntary actors. Exactly. And, you know, and the other piece to this puzzle, too, is that our community also changed its kind of permitting and design standards. So new construction is already that water smart 
um, construction, including in the landscaping. So where it really is, is in those places that were built before we made these changes that are still mm-hmm. holding on to those grass kind of landscapes. And what year did you guys, or kind of what era time frame did you start implementing the kind of the, the more structural kind of new construction policies? Oh, that's a good question. I would say that those probably came, you know, everything started coming into place um, after the drought really started setting in in the early 2000s. So, mm-hmm. you know, I would say that probably around the time of the Great Recession, we had mm-hmm. tightened up. We had also had those um, turf removal incentives in place, I think, since the early 2000s. Okay. So you guys are looking on almost, up. yeah, almost 20 years of having kind of like we start, you know, of because the other thing I think is interesting about people, I'm sorry to interrupt you there, but like, the progress of, you know, what's been successful that people can see in the background makes it easier to do the next step. So you guys have kind of been working on 20 years almost of kind of kind of progressive water policy in terms of like, you know, rules tightening up uh, your design standards and then like the voluntary program. So, you know, a good, a good runway. Yeah, absolutely. I think that makes sense to say that it's been about a 20 year effort and, you know, and also aggressive ad campaigns about people setting their watering clocks. Like, People are aware that that watering grass is mm-hmm. <laughs> kind of a problem and that it uses a lot of water. And yeah, that's that's that groundwork has been laid for like two decades here. Okay. Awesome. Okay. So um before I rudely interrupted you to put a time for stamp on this. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, you you said that you you know you're kind of out of the low-hanging fruit. And so then you guys moved into thinking about more like mandatory actions. So that's kind of like the next step. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's what we realized was that there's still, you know, we've gotten probably half of, they've done some really great mapping to kind of identify grass via satellite and, and then try and figure out which of that serves like a recreational purpose Mm -hmm. and which doesn't. And so I think we've gotten about half of it out, which is fantastic, but that means there's still 50% left. And Mm -hmm like you said, we're kind of running out of that low hanging fruit. Um, so it's like, how do we get that other 50%? And so, um, you know, the largest chunk of that is in, is in a smaller group of people. So obviously people have grass in their yards, Mm -hmm. but, um, you know, we looked at homeowners associations who have it, you know, incorporated again, kind of outside the community or in, Mm -hmm. you know, in the medians at office parks and things. And we said, and even in golf courses where it's not on the, in the main area, we've got some golf courses that have really pared down their, their fairways and everything to, you know, be as efficient as possible and Mm -hmm. others that are less so. And so we're we're kind of looking for the non-functional grass, exactly. just the grass that's just there. Yep. That's what we call it. Non-functional turf. And then, you know, the old saying we use is if the only time somebody steps on it is to mow it, then it's, it's non-functional. Oh, I love that. That's great. That's a great standard. So then how, like, how does the bill actually function though? Since you've kind of already identified like what you're looking for and what your goal is, you know, removing it, like how is the actual structure of the bill work? Like what does it do? Yeah. So I'm glad to talk about that. So basically what we did is we created kind of a special act of state law. It just says that for the most part that Nevada can't use its Colorado river water, which is Mm -hmm. distributed by the Southern Nevada water authority 
to irrigate non-functional turf on non-residential property effective January 1st, 2027. So what it really does is it sets a, a timeline out in the future, but it's not a goal. It says, you know, we, we cannot use this water for this purpose by this date. And, and that's 2027? That's 2027. So, you so know, six we were, years. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. Yep. Mm-hmm. So, and then so that's, that really at the core of, um, you know, how it does it, that's, that's it. It just basically puts this policy statement that says we shall not do this by this date. And again, that, that carves out um, residential properties. Okay. And so is it, so it's residential, so it's really institutional properties. Cause it yep. sounds like this, was it the state can't do that or private actors can't do that? So you still have like private businesses that aren't residential. Are they still restricted or is it just like state institutional buildings? Like, no, it's government? all, it is okay. all it basic. What it, what we did is basically set, told the Southern Nevada water authority, you cannot provide water for this use. Oh, okay. Okay. So you're not really focusing on the end user. You're focusing on focusing as the distribution is kind of the lever to make this change. Yeah. It's kind of the lever, but, but still mm-hmm. the impact does end up yes. going to the, to the end user because mm-hmm. they're ultimately, if they have grass, that's going to lose its water. They need to figure out mm-hmm. what to do about that. So but it's not like you're out there finding them being like you individual. I like this. Like, yeah. or will they, will they get fined? What happens if they don't comply? So we had to set the policy at the state level, I think, to kind of take it out of other people's hands and say, this is the direction that we need to go. But um, this gets me to the next part of the bill because it doesn't end there. So we also Mm -hmm. created in statute a turf advisory committee, basically. And it has representatives from the different institutions that would be, you know, impacted by this. So it's got uh, business representatives, industrial and commercial properties, HOAs, apartment complexes, uh, local governments, golf courses, and a, a, an environmental representative. Mm-hmm. And basically what they're going to do is look at all of the, you know, they're going to try and identify the turf, flesh out that policy of deciding exactly when does a turf, when is turf functional and when is it not functional? And, you know, are, are there specific kind of sectors that we're going to prioritize first? Um, and then, um, you know, and, and make advice on basically how this gets carried out. And so that puts kind of the affected folks up front, but they could also recommend how it gets carried out. So it's kind of, it gives the water authority and the water providers the ability to figure out, do they want to create like a fine structure if someone just Mm-hmm. ignores them um you know but uh we we left that up to the local government instead of setting that part in state law uh-huh but they could also just like not deliver they could just shut off their connection too right like yep. that's the other that's, option being yep. like okay well you didn't do it your grass is just gonna die yeah interesting okay cool i like that i like that a lot i'm assuming too like is there another kind of either explicit or ancillary component of like building up the the system of alternatives to grass like because i had a woman on oh a couple months ago about um kind of like drought resilient landscaping mm-hmm. um and so i'm it, does the bill go as far as to support those kind of activities or that is kind of left to the private sector yeah so one thing i'll say is again going back to both the water authority itself and the local governments they've already done a lot of the work of putting mm. together and demonstrating like 
and again, and you see it in new construction too, mm-hmm. um, you know, water smart landscaping. And so I think a lot of those resources are already there. I think the, the, the main question mark is the financial resources, right? I said all of these projects, when someone wants to replace their, their grass, qualify for that $3 per square foot replacement incentive. It's still it's up to the water authority to decide if they have it in their budget and if it makes sense to increase that to take some more of the financial burden off of the property owners. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that's kind of the main that's the main uh, issue and the main lever that we have to address. If we're if we're making somebody make the change, um, we got to help make it affordable. Although we should also understand that um, you know. Uh, saving water also means saving money. So, mm-hmm. yeah. Oh, I love this. It's kind of baked in. Yeah. Perfect. Um, so what kind of water savings do you guys think you're going to see? Like you said, you, you there's 50% less than what you used to have when you did like satellite imagery. What does that translate into like square footage and like water use? The, the projections uh, related to what this bill will do is that it would prevent the use of that Colorado river water on around 4,000 acres of grass in the Las Whoa. Vegas Valley. That's not a small amount. No. Um, and, it, you know, it, like you said, all that stuff adds up. I actually drove by an office park the other day that has grass. It's a decent size and there's grass ringing around the entire thing. You know, you add some of those up. And and so the water that it's estimated to, to irrigate that is 30,000 acre feet per year, which that's, that's not a small amount of water either. It's not. So, you know, for, mm-hmm. for the water wonks out there, um, you know, that is 10% of Nevada's Colorado river allocation in a year. So 30,000 acre feet, which is 4,000 acres of grass is 10% yeah. of your Colorado river water allocation. That's right. That's crazy. That is a crazy statistic. Okay. Yep. Yep. And I and, guess and, for and, the listeners know, for real the, quickly though, for the background, like, yeah. would you just mind just explaining how Nevada's Colorado portion compares to its surrounding states? Uh, yeah. <laughs> um, so uh, Nevada, uh, when the compact was established uh, about a hundred years ago, there wasn't much here and there wasn't really plans for there to be a huge city here. So Nevada got the smallest allocation of any of the seven basin states, we got 300,000 acre feet. Every other state has million or multi-millions. I believe California has 4.4 million acre feet. So yeah, uh, we have a, we have the smallest share of the Colorado river and we're the driest state in the country. And so we're trying to do our best to, to use it well. Yeah. Yeah. And with a pretty large population center that continues to grow. Yeah. Yeah. And so, and, you know, for the, for the non-water nerds out there, I mean, 30,000 acre feet with new construction now, I mean, that's enough to supply 90 to a hundred thousand homes with water um, Mm -hmm. for a year. It's that's nine and a half billion gallons of water. Um, That number is mind boggling to me. It's hard to really think about, but it gets mm-hmm. the point across that it's a lot of water. Yeah. That's so interesting. And like, okay. So a question I have for you then is like, I think this sounds fantastic. And I love how it kind of just knits together and it's kind of like a, 
some, I don't want to say teeth, but kind of teeth into like an already existing, like set of programs so that like people are going to have viable alternatives, you know, like Mm -hmm. they're not going to feel like they're without options. Okay. So on that front, I've got two questions. One's a little bit tangential, but related to the last comment. So I understand that there are all of these programs for people to assist people in transitioning out, you know, out of turf lawn. Is there a complementary and specific tree program? Like, I know that's kind of a crazy question, but when I interviewed her, uh, Professor Kelly Kopp this summer, one of the things that she mentioned so much is she's like, she really hit on the part that like the urban heat island effect really mm-hmm. is a real thing. You know what I mean? And so not only do we have to like, be conscientious about how our water is so that we can like live in the future, but we also have to like live in the future. Yeah. So one of the things she did caution about is she goes, you know, really, if we're going to landscaping is also not a bad thing. And I know that like you guys have professionals and I'm sure that your low water landscaping looks fantastic. And, you know, by no means like ever casting aspersions that they don't know what they're doing. But this this tree question really, really struck me because she also mentioned about how like trees also require a fair amount of water. And so it was kind of this balancing of proportions. And so I don't know if that's something that you'd run across or a conversation that came up, but that was just something that struck me from our conversation. Uh, I am so glad you brought this up because um, I should say like, you know, obviously we got this bill passed into law. We enjoyed bipartisan support on it. Um, but I have seen, you know, it, and it sparked discussion. And one of the, the, the only real concern that I have heard, um, come up kind of here and just in general from other people that have, that have looked at it and, and raised questions about it is around the heat Island effect and around, you know, the, the cooling properties of, of landscaping. And I'm so glad you brought up, uh, you know, the connection to trees. So I'm a big advocate. We, do I don't think that we have necessarily like a tree incentive program. This is something I'm actually really um, interested in working on and figuring out how we can help get more trees and urban forestry kind of uh, around the Las Vegas Valley. Cause I think that is a great way to address the heat Island effect. And you can do that with things like mesquite trees um, that are native to here. And once established, I mean, I have a mesquite tree in my yard. I don't water it. Um, mm-hmm. you know, it is adapted to survive in this climate and environment with the conditions that we have. So, um, yeah, and I, and, and that will provide as it grows significant shade and help address mm-hmm. the, the heat island effect. You know, Las Vegas, some studies have shown a, we're one of the fastest warming cities, um, in the United States and B it has showed that we have the heat island effect and that it is, um, kind of tied to uh, inequity, right? Lower income neighborhoods, neighborhoods with large numbers of um, people of color um, often have hotter temperatures and it's because they're missing grass and they're missing trees. And so, Mm -hmm. um, you know, ultimately, I don't think that the the turf removal is going to make the problem um, that we already have any worse, but I do agree that in order to deal with that problem, which is very real, we got to really increase our efforts around urban forestry. And so mm-hmm. uh, stay, stay tuned for policies uh, that, <laughs> that address that. But yeah, that's, that's kind of my whole take on like the grass, the grass tree issue. Mm-hmm. And I would, I just would say that no one should hesitate around um, addressing grass as a water use issue because of heat island, because again, you can get 
low water use trees that are less thirsty than grass. Um, and they'll provide shade that will help deal with that heat island effect. And I think better than letting water evaporate off, yeah. off of your lawn. Yeah. yeah. And like, and it has such a different effect in the fact that like, if you have shady buildings, you need, you have like less cost for, um, energy than you have less fossil fuels. I mean, I, I personally am like an, all the, all the and above kind of person. Like, I think yeah. we just like, we're probably about the same age. You know, I've been thinking a lot about what the next 30 or 40 years are going to look like when mm-hmm. I kind of, how, what is, what is my life going to look like when I'm my parents age and kind of, you know, in my early seventies, yeah. it's just going to look drastically different. And there's just no time for dithering. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. We got to do it all. We got to do it now. And Absolutely. so I'm like, paint all the rooftops white, plant all the trees, <laughs> just the good ones, well, not all the trees, but the specifically good trees. And so, yeah. you know, and, I, I, yeah, yeah go ahead. And I was just going to say, you know, I, I grew up here in Las Vegas and it gets hot in summer. And you know what? I would much rather, if I was walking down the street and you gave me a choice of having a patch of grass next to me or a tree providing shade, I would pick the tree. <laughs> yeah, totally. And I think like, and I also think that there is a a mission and role for everybody, but especially like those who are moving into their positions of power in a way mm-hmm. to also tell a positive story because yep. we have to be like, you know what, like it might look different, but like, you know, we also have autonomy and control to create an environment that we also want to live in. Not in yeah. the, not just that's livable, but want to live in. And I think that, um, I think trying to seize on the, you know, the kind of the the messaging of opportunity is just really important because otherwise it's really depressing. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. No, I, yes, I I feel that. And, um, and I really appreciate that too. Right. Yeah. Things, Mm -hmm. things are going to be different, but they can, that they can be better. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, I agree. Cool. Well, I like that ending. Why don't we end there? They can be better. (laughs) Well, Assemblyman Watts, this is awesome and a super exciting activity. I'm really excited for you and your accomplishments in doing this. I would love to check in, you know, maybe like six months and see what you do in the 22 session because it sounds like you've got lots of cool ideas. Um, Do you (laughs) have anything on the water docket for for Um, 2022? Well, here's the thing. Nevada's legislature only meets every other year. So right now I am sourcing lots of great ideas for 2023, but there will be more, there will be more to come on water um, as well as, like I said, urban forestry and, Mm -hmm. and, you know, some of these other issues as well. So um, yeah, stay, stay tuned. Neighbors. (laughs) Shady neighbors. All right. Well, um, I appreciate your time and um, we'll be in touch. All right. Sounds good. Nothing said in this podcast should be taken as providing legal advice or as establishing an attorney-client relationship with you or anyone else. This podcast was produced by Mackenzie Nichols. Find Ripple Effect on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Thank you for listening.